0: You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA Senior Director of Policy Communications, and joining us this week is Kent Backus. Kent, of course, is NCBA's Senior Director of International Trade and Market Access. Kent, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ed. All right. Well, as we gather here on February 25th, uh, USDA and the U.S. Trade Representative's Office today put out an announcement saying that China had begun to uh, take actions to begin implementing Uh, the big China trade deal that was announced late last year. Um, Talk a little bit about what that means for U.S. producers and what actions China is taking right now to to implement that phase one agreement.
1: So as you know, NCBA was at the signing ceremony. We were in the room for the signing of this, this massive trade deal with China. And uh, the agreement was going to be implemented within 30 days, and it was. It was implemented on February 14th. It was a nice little Valentine's Day gift for all of us. And at that time, uh, the traceability requirements that China once had on uh, U.S. beef, those were removed. This latest announcement, where it talks about all of these other uh, major accomplishments for U.S. agriculture, one other thing to keep in mind is that China has also lifted – the 30 month restriction, the BSE restriction, that has really kept us out of that market for a long time. So this is a big development. This was one of the major items that China had agreed to address, one of the, the big non-tariff trade barriers. And it shows that, that China is actually following through with what it has promised to do and that our negotiators are holding them accountable. So we see this as a very positive development and this is really one of the first steps in the entire process. Next on the list, another item that has to that's well, that is supposed to occur before March the 13th will be the establishment of maximum residue levels for hormones. And as you know, that's probably the biggest barrier that's kept us out of the China market. So, this is all very positive news and something that we've looked forward to for a long time and we're finally starting to see all of this come to fruition.
0: Okay, so, of course, you and I were over in China, along with Craig Uden, our president at the time, um, for the announcement that we had at least nominal access to the Chinese market again. But they had, as you just mentioned, all of these non-tariff barriers that, that from a practical standpoint, kept us, uh, many of our producers out. Um, So um, it sort of of kept uh, a lot of shipments out. Um, And you can't really talk about trade with China these days without talking about the coronavirus. And, of course, you and I, neither one of us are infectious disease uh, experts or scientists, so we don't know exactly how this is all going to play out. Um, Because we haven't had a lot of U.S. beef imports into China, um, there's not much of a supply chain to disrupt um, at this point. But hopefully when this when this virus sort of take, takes its course, then we will have all of these non-tariff barriers knocked down and we can get in there. But obviously Asia is a major export, our biggest export um, market um, with Japan and Korea. Can you talk a little bit about um, how uh, the virus is affecting U.S. beef exports to the, the entire Asia region right now and, and what producers might expect going forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at trade with Asia, that the coronavirus is a major factor. It's something that I don't, I don't think people were, were really prepared uh, to account for. You know, most of the market forecasts, including some of the industry forecasts that were coming out uh, just a few weeks ago, have all been reversed. Um, when you look at the significance of the coronavirus, uh, they haven't figured out a way to stop it yet, so they need to contain it. And the best way to do that is through quarantines. And that means that you restrict people going to public areas like supermarkets and restaurants. And so that's really affected a lot of the protein sales in China and some of the surrounding countries. Not only that, but when people aren't able to go to work, that means dock workers can't go and unload the ships. So we're starting to see some of that, uh, you know, uh, come forward. I think we're seeing a bigger impact in pork and poultry. Uh, which already had significant access into Asia, especially on the pork side. Some of those shipments have been turned around because they were unable to to dock at some of these places. So I think this is a, this is a very serious issue. We're seeing an indirect impact on that on on the beef sector, and that's one of the reasons why cattle prices were limiting down. Um, you know, we 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 have a, a difficult situation ahead of us. It's definitely a situation where we don't know the extent of the impact of the coronavirus, not only on human health, but also the economic impact this could have. This is spreading all over the world. It's also supposed to come to the United States. Now, not trying to, you know, cause any fear or anything in the marketplace, but, you know, these are real factors that you need to take into consideration. So as producers, you know, it's hard to plan for uncertainty. It's hard, you know, you can't always plan for bad weather. You can't always plan for, you know, uh, you know, uh, big blows in the marketplace like this, but the best thing you can do is to be aware of all of those forces on your operation and make the best determination for your family. That's what, uh, that's what we all have to do. And, you know, I think the the upside of all this, the positive thing is, as you mentioned, once, this situation is under control, and uh, you know people start to uh, go back to the marketplace and restore their lives. US beef is going to be positioned in a, in a very important place in China because we're now going to have access to a broader uh, a broader segment of the Chinese consumer base because we've been able to remove these non-tariff trade barriers. There is a silver lining uh, in that cloud, but you know this is a this is a very serious situation, and something that we hope will end soon.
0: Right, and then finally, we can't really give a trade update um, right now uh, without talking about uh, Brazil. Last Friday, um, the USDA USDA's FSIS announced that uh, fresh beef imports from Brazil um, would soon resume to the United States. Um, NCBA was the first group to respond to this, uh, expressed some very serious concerns about this. Can you talk a little bit about you know the history of, of, of Brazilian beef imports into the U.S. And, and
1: what NCBA's concerns are with that? I think it's important for everyone to understand that Brazil has not had access to the United States for quite some time. Uh, they had foot and mouth disease, and because of that, they were kept out of the U.S. Um, for, you know, going back to 2016, when they were when their access was restored, they haven't they hadn't had foot and mouth disease for quite some time, but the U.S. government was going through and auditing their system. They gave them uh, approval. Uh, Brazil had access to the U.S. market for about six to seven months, and you know during that time, they had significant food safety violations. Eleven percent of the beef that eleven uh, percent of the Brazilian beef that was coming to the United States was rejected at the port of entry. It didn't meet our standards, or there were other issues with it. They found foreign material in it. Uh, None of this was safe for the U.S. market. So USDA did their job and shut them down. And Sonny Perdue, Secretary Perdue, stepped up and said, look, we know this is an important market for Brazil, but until you can meet our standards, you're not gonna have access here. And for over two years, they haven't had access to the U.S. Well, when you go back to March of 2019, President Bolsonaro, he came to Washington, met with President Trump. Uh, His administration said, look, this is a priority for us. We're we're taking all of these steps to clean up corruption. We're taking all these steps to make these improvements. We wanna restore that access to the United States. And, you know, the Trump administration said, we know that's important to you, but you still have to meet all of our standards. You still have to prove that you've corrected all of these problems. And that this isn't going to be an ongoing issue. And so our government sent our best experts to Brazil and looked not only at the food safety, but the animal health concerns that we had raised. And keep in mind, NCBA, uh, we've not made a lot of friends at USDA because we've been actively engaged on this and trying to uh, to share those concerns with them and share our science-based concerns with them. And, you know, and USDA, to their credit, um, they sent their best people. And Brazil... has has, you know met uh, the standards that USDA put forward Uh, but even then you know we have some concerns. We don't have concerns of the capability of our top people to be down there reviewing this. We have concerns about Brazil's ability to actually continue to meet our safety standards Uh, and only time's going to tell that but I think the important thing here is to know that USDA is going to monitor all of these imports very closely. They're going to inspect. Uh, there's 100%, 100% inspection of all of these Brazilian products coming in. And if they are a repeat offender, if they start to see all these other problems, then we expect our government to take swift and immediate action to close that access to make sure that U.S. consumers and U.S. And US beef producers are protected. And you know we feel confident that that will be the case. But nevertheless, you can rest assured, NCBA is going to be monitoring all of these reports and all of the shipments that are coming in. And if we, and if we see that there is an issue, then you know, we will gladly support the U.S. government's swift and immediate action uh, to, to shut down the Brazilian access.
0: Right. Now, so what I heard you talk a lot about there was food safety um, of the product coming in. What I didn't hear you talk about a lot was markets, and but that's a lot of the conversation that we saw after this announcement. Announcement was made, um, people worried. Obviously, markets aren't great. We now have the coronavirus out there, kind of affecting markets as well, possibly going forward. And I think there were, some people were a little bit afraid that okay, now we're going to have a flood of Brazilian beef coming into our market, and and it's gonna it's gonna lower cattle prices here. Um, and a lot of people use this as a reason to sort of push for mandatory country of origin labeling. Can can you just sort of explain, like, what what we're talking about? This is not under any circumstances, you know, Brazilians can export as much as they want into the U.S. and flood our market, and how is this possibly going to affect our market, and why is MCOOL not the answer to all of this, this entire situation?
1: I think you you bring up a very important point, and that's the fact that the proponents of mandatory country of origin labeling will use situations like this issue with Brazil to try to advocate for the restoration of MCOOL. And let's be perfectly clear, MCOOL is not a food safety or an animal health measure. It is a, It was a failed government run marketing program. And folks, we market our beef better than the US government does. So let's be perfectly clear about that. At the same time, when you look at the prices and you look at cattle prices and beef prices and everything else, this is also one of the arguments that uh, the supporters of MCOOL use to try to justify bringing it back, that if we can restrict all of these imports, then that's going to increase cattle prices. There's absolutely no information to support that. Uh, When you look at Brazil's access to the U.S., they don't have much access to the U.S. There are other importers like Australia and New Zealand, Canada, and Mexico that are shipping seven and eight times the amount of beef to the U.S. market that Brazil could. Brazil is going to have to compete with the European Union and other markets for a very small 65,000 metric ton quota that uh, has a 26.4% tariff rate, you know, once that volume is exceeded. There's not a real incentive for Brazil to sell to the U.S. market. And most of what would come from Brazil is most likely going to be lean uh, lean beef trimmings—that's going to go in to make hamburgers—and that's that is probably the lowest value part of the of the production chain, and not really something where we're going to compete. We do source lean beef uh, trimmings from Australia, from New Zealand, from places like that, and we already have those supply chains established. And so, I think Brazil may be able to sell some beef in you know under that. But they're not gonna be selling ribeyes and you know other big cuts here, because quite frankly, the quality's not the same. Uh, Americans want that high quality, well-marbled U.S. beef. And we know how to market that beef better than the federal government does. And we've been a lot more successful at marketing our beef than the federal government ever has been. So while people are concerned about competition from Brazil, first of all, you need to realize, there's not a lot of competition that can actually come from Brazil because of the, the tariff quota and the, and the restrictions there. And second, it's not the same product. It's not the same quality as what we produce here. And I think when you look at how much we dominate the U.S. market, you know we're also one of the biggest importers in the world. But we, by far and away, are much, much bigger sellers of beef to American consumers than any other country. And I think that is something that we should continue to celebrate, is the fact that we have high-quality beef that Americans want, and we're going to continue to dominate our own market.
0: All right, sounds good. As always, a lot to talk about and a lot to keep an eye on going forward on the trade front. So, Kent, thanks a lot for joining us again. Thank you. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at at Beltway Beef.